Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Decode Your Burnout with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today we are joined by Dr. Stephen Neff, who is an anesthetist. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Stephen. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. All right. And he's had, <laughs> if anyone's wondering, it's somebody who administers anesthesia, just so we're all clear. And he has had more than his fair share of trauma in his life. Uh, he has tried to drown PTSD, depression, and anxiety in industrial doses of vodka, but had to learn the hard way that those critters can swim. These are his words. Nowadays, he lives a very different life where self-love, humility, integrity, and transparency actually mean something. He hosts the show, My Steps to Sobriety, and has just released the second edition of his book under the same name. Dr. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sharon. It's an absolute honor to be here. And yes, I, I, I certainly have got the, uh, I was there, I've got the t-shirt, I've burnt out the t-shirt. Um, so yes, <laughs> where shall I start for crying out loud? Um, well, I missed the burnout. <laughs> well, I think, first of all, just thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Um, I think that, first of all, having said what you just said, you are in the right place. And our job now is to just give you the floor and have you tell your story in the way that feels good to you with the purpose of having our listeners hear something that maybe resonates for them. Because I know that there are a lot of people out there that have struggled with all the things that you've struggled with, whether it's PTSD, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, or whether it's substance abuse, um, mm. and they're trying to figure it out too. Mm. So I would love to hear your story. And as you tell it, we're going to be listening for these three contributing factors, your mm. potential programming that may have contributed to burnout, any sort of environmental stressors that you were facing at the time, as well as your personality. So with oh, all that, please. with all that, and you have the floor. They're they all highly interlinked, aren't they? These, all these, these really are. Yes. If, if I think back, then I was initially a mediocre student uh, and I was at school. Um, I always felt sort of the, the odd kid out. I was, um, yeah, I was not a loner. I wouldn't say that. Um, but equally, I, I, it was weird. There was, uh, I always felt, yeah, the odd kid out. 
And it was a strange programming because I came from, from poor circumstances in Germany and my programming was very much, um, you, first of all, well, you will probably never go to university. You will, you're not really that bright and you're not really, you know, um, forget about it. So we're going to put you in a, in a school that prepares you for a solid craft, handcraft. So, uh, become a plumber, etc. And that was sort of the, the way I was, I was initially programmed, not really, you know, it was what it was. Um, turns out that through a number of factors, I actually excelled uh, extremely uh, well in my, in my setting. I get actually hooked on being the best in class and suddenly uh, disproving maybe my parents, maybe wanting me to, them to love me more or show me their love more now that I can actually, uh, that I suddenly brought home best of class, best of class. And it became like an addiction. And it was really, really cool because uh, a, you, you, it, it was not like in maybe an American system where the, the best one gets bullied, et cetera, and you become a nerd. No, on the contrary, sort of the cool kids and the cool girls, especially in, in school, uh, came to me and said, well, can we meet? And can you teach me a little bit? Uh, and, you know, do me a math lesson or something like that. And I said, yeah, yeah yes, please. So there was actually, it was really quite nice. Um, so I... But there was always this core belief there or these core beliefs that I need to work harder. I need to work harder. I always had to prove myself. I always had to go more out there. Um, so I very soon became a perfectionist. And if I had one question wrong in a, in a hundred question thing, I would argue I became renowned amongst the teachers arguing with them because I had learned it so well. I knew more than the teacher. Often enough, I actually did. Um, so, but it was this perfectionism, this, oh, it was with hindsight, my goodness. I mean, perfectionism is great when you're a doctor. Okay, you know, uh, you get 100% of your people surviving. That is recognized as something quite nice. 95% uh, survival. Mm, mm. <laughs> so therefore, in my field, it was actually uh, encouraged. And the work ethic of working, 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 that was the 70s and 80s when I sort of came into the workforce um, as a student and then as a junior doctor. Well, I'm sorry. What do you mean you want to go home? You come before the boss and you come, you leave after the boss. So 60-hour weeks, 70-hour weeks, that was the norm that was expected. So there were all these kind of things that were, were setting me up ultimately really beautifully for burnout. And that's how I lived for many decades. Work, 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 crash. Work, 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 crash. And it was weird. During all that, I mean, in all fairness, I had trauma in my life. So there were quite a bit of stuff happening with me in my teenager years, which left me left me quite dark. So I was I was the victim of a gang assault, and I ended up training very hard in addition to working very hard at school. So I started training with the police uh, in martial arts and I would have a full uh, school day and then I would do two to four hours of training uh, with regards to martial arts. So there was always this continuous busyness. I kept myself busy, busy, busy throughout the, the whole youth. And when I was not training or 
or learning than I was stacking shelves in a supermarket because I wanted to earn money. So I basically never gave myself time to heal or to think. I never was introduced to my emotions. Um, a man is a real man who shuts up and gets on with life. That kind of behavior, those kind of things. So I ended up using work as an addiction, as a, as a means of running away. I became addicted to my work. Um, and because when I was working, I didn't have to think about my life. And then I came home and certainly later in my mid twenties, when I had by now discovered alcohol as the beautiful crutch that it was, um, I then ended up basically just drinking. So my life condensed down to working hard, playing hard. That's it. And needless to say, I abused my body so much. Um, probably my nutrition wasn't the best, despite the fact that I was actually, you know, I think I was eating healthy. But the fine side, no, I was, I was eating uh, a rich European food, Italian, Yugoslavian, uh, you name it. It was beautiful. I loved, I had by now learned to cook. I made some really yummy pasta dishes. Uh, there were not too many vegetables hurt in the making of these dishes. Um, so, you know, I, I drank heavily, uh, socially heavily. Um, so therefore I already robbed my body from the nutrients that it needed. Um, and then I didn't feed it the nutrients. I certainly didn't take any nutraceuticals. So, Ultimately, I didn't drink enough water. I didn't sleep enough. I didn't eat the right things. I didn't exercise. Um, I drank like a fish. I worked like an idiot. Huh. How long can your body last with that? And it would happen. I would work, 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 work. And then I got sick. And I mean, I had some humdingers of, of colds because my body was so run down. And I was, there were times when I was literally in bed, virtually semi-conscious because I was just rolled up in a fetal position. Um, and it was just nuts. It was absolute nuts. And the crazy thing is, as a doctor, I was really good in diagnosing all these things in someone else. I could see it a mile away uh, and told other people some really valuable advice. And I was, I was watching self-help uh, films and, and read. There's probably not many self-help books that I didn't read, but typically with a glass of wine in my hand. And it was just nuts. So the life that I lived was all talk, but certainly I didn't walk the walk. <laughs> For sure not. So therefore, yes, I consider myself a master of burnout um, of, uh, because I, I, I tried to experience it from every single aspect uh, of burnout that, that there could possibly could be. I did it. So therefore, I thought I'm not a bad guest for this show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you qualify for sure. Uh, well, okay. So, <laughs> you, you know, you talked about all these preconditions, even going back to your childhood, I would say you're kind of doing my job already for me. Uh, so thank you for already filling in a lot of the gaps. Um, and, and it's, not, it's not your job. It, it, it took me eight years of healing to actually get to that point. And I'm yeah. still learning about what I did. <laughs> I finally made sense out of this chaos. So I guess that's, that's one little achievement I can take from there. <laughs> 
Yeah. So you had all these things that kind of brought you to this place of, I don't like my life. And in order for me not to look at it, not to face it and not to feel it, I either busy myself with work or I drink and get out of this here and now space. Right. And so you, you talk about all the things that you did in addition to drinking and like in, in, in addition to just escaping, which was just neglecting yourself, almost feeling it feels like there's this self-hatred, right, where we abuse our body and we don't take care of ourselves. We're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And I, I see this a lot, actually, with people who have trauma because um, of this faulty um, misinterpretation of like, if people did this to me, it must mean that I'm worthless, right? As opposed to mm. like, I am the mm. victim of somebody else's stuff, which was completely wrong, but there's nothing wrong with me. It's just that they were in their crazy space, right? We kind of take it out on ourselves now. So now you become your own abuser. It's an interesting take on things, and there might very well be a grain of truth there. These are the bloody core beliefs that are running below our emotions, and they are so hard to decipher. They are so hard to actually really see what's happening. But there might very well be a a bloody good grain, a a big grain of truth there. Well, you started by saying how when your parents didn't really believe in you and they put you in this school, you became really obsessed with disproving them and showing them that Mm. you're very capable and that you can be the best. And there's this notion that if I can do that, if I can show up as that perfect student, then they'll love me. I guess that was that. Yes, uh, that is an interpretation. I, when I look back at that, I think that is what, one of the underlying drivers was my mom and dad were divorced. So I grew up with my great grandmother um, and it was always, yeah, that I think with hindsight, that particular thing played actually a far bigger role than I liked to admit for much of my life. Yeah. And, it's and, those, then, those- and then I also hear a lot of people that go into medicine have that same perfectionistic tendency and, the need to kind of save other people and to be um, not necessarily admired, but um, (laughs) right. Like Uh, to feel like what they're doing is like a greater good, right. They're helping other people. And then in mm -hmm. doing all this amazing stuff and working as hard as you are, then there's this hope that somewhere in there I'll have value. I'll, I'll finally be worthy. And that's that's so true, because I identified myself completely with my profession, or I, there was nothing else I could say. If someone says, oh, tell me about you, I would say, yes, I'm an anesthetist and I'm a pain physician. Yeah. No, no, tell me about you. Well, I've just told you I'm an anesthetist. I'm really good in my job. I couldn't have told you that I... that. I'm a creative person, that I'm a sportive person, that I'm all these kind of things, because I wasn't. I, this, the, the me, I was completely lost in there somewhere. And that was the biggest challenge for me in recovery. Once I went into rehab eight years ago and came out, I was an empty shell. And that felt quite, quite strange. 
it was really empty. Uh, nowadays, I recognize it as the, the unique reset, the unique st- restart that I had the privilege of being given. I had a new canvas and I could draw on there whatever I wanted, um, but I had no idea what I wanted. And that was the really beautiful thing. So I started reinventing myself and I still do so uh, every minute, every hour of the day with new decisions, new dreams, new visions that I then change into missions by taking action. All those kind of things, that kind of lifestyle that I live nowadays is so beautiful, but it was so foreign to me when I when I was in the midst of all that busyness and all that hiding and all that negative emotions that I had no way of even knowing those emotions or knowing where they come from or knowing how to deal with them. So there were a lot of emotional stuff going on that I was just a victim of ultimately. So I was, I was like, a, like an emotional teenager at the age of 35 and, and 40. So it was actually with hindsight, uh, shall I say embarrassing, um, now that I realize really what has occurred, what has happened. Um, I'm, I'm just, I just want to take that young man into my arms and, and want to say, hey, man, uh, it is, don't try so hard. Don't try so hard and just, just be you. Just right now, give yourself a break. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be, to be you. You're great as you are. And yeah, but no one ever tells you that. And especially not when you become a doctor, you come sort of to the top of the hierarchy. And it's a very lonesome place for us. Um, we, we build up harder walls and, and masks in front of us because everything has to be perfect. And it makes it so much harder for many doctors to actually admit that they're struggling. I think that is our biggest flaw as doctors, the wellness, our own mental health and wellness. Um, we don't look after even anywhere close the way we should be. And that is my mission nowadays, to speak out about that, to, to say that it's absolutely normal for you to feel low and even so low that you are clinically depressed. That will happen to you one in three, one in four chance in your life. So just as much as you know that sooner or later your car might break down and you have got an insurance for it or your tire blows out and you have got a spare tire. Well, you don't have a spare body, but at least you might do something on your body and on your mind and on your soul to actually get a bit more resilient, be aware of those things, get to know yourself and live in a moment. Live right now. This is a, a lesson I learned a very, very hard way. But now I'm here and now I'm enjoying sitting here right now, being a bit uncomfortable because you're asking me very, very good questions that are going to the, to the deep inner heart of me. Uh, but I'm, I have shown up. I'm, I'm here and facing the music. And by talking to you and opening up, I know I'm going to be a different man when this interview finishes than compared with when I've started because I've done another little bit of work. I've taken action to 
get to know myself by talking to you, by explaining things to you. I have today chosen maybe mildly different words in describing it. And suddenly when my words came out, my ears soaked them back in. They thought, huh, huh, I didn't think about that. And it's that kind of beautiful thing. By us connecting, by you allowing me to speak out on this platform and sharing my story, it's not just that I give something to maybe your audience, but also I actually give myself the love to actually explore again those times in my life, which I'm not so proud of, which I may be ashamed of, maybe mm. guilty uh, about, but I'm exploring them and suddenly they make a little bit more sense and suddenly there's a little bit less or a little less pain when I actually talk about them and it's beautiful. So guys out there, please, please, please speak out. Please, please open up. The past does not equal the future. And I think we keep forgetting that and we get so bogged down and we are so busy catastrophizing in our in our life oh my god oh why me why me and guess what your brain will come up with beautiful answers because it's designed to do that it gives you answers that's the only way how you can survive so if you ask a question why me oh it will tell you 20 different reasons why you are a failure okay um Maybe you're asking the wrong questions, and that that's something I learned the hard way, and I still learn every day because there's still this bloody voice. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're a failure. Look at you. That happened to you. Oh, that's all your fault. Shut up. Shut up. Honestly, you're just get off my shoulder. Get get rid of. So I think that is the the key thing, really. That I took such a long time to learn. And that's part of my mission to de demystify these things and come out and say, guys, you, I know the reason that you're sitting here and listening to these interviews, you have those voices, you have those warped core beliefs. You have those things that set you up to fail. Stop running, stop running for a bit and, and jump off the hamster wheel. And actually just right now, right now feel the moment and feel actually there's not much happening right now why am i so anxious ah it could happen tomorrow yeah yeah it could happen but right now i mean what's happening right now you have got control over right now so have you actually had a drink have you had some water have you had actually just go to the toilet how many of us doctors run around with a big bladder and think why the hell am i anxious Oh, I haven't been to toilet here. Stupid things like that, because we're so bloody busy. So now there's so many things. Sharon, you're, you're such a great woman for actually bringing these, this awareness out there. Oh, where were you when I was in the middle of freaking burnouts, burnout cycles, cycles, cycles? Having said that, even if you were there at that time, I would have probably not listened. I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, and I would say that's why we're doing this now, because, yeah, there's going to be people out there who 
are in that place where you were, and maybe they're not ready to listen, but I think people who are tuning in, they're in that place where they're looking for answers. They understand that this is a problem. Mm. And that's, I think, one of the biggest issues with burnout is that we don't see it in ourselves, just like you said. We don't recognize it until Mm. after the fact. And I've had people say to me, I only realize now that that job that I had three years ago, that's that was burnout for me. Right. So I think it is really important to talk about this. And I'm always so grateful when people come on and are vulnerable and are able to share their stories. And as you just spoke to us, I could almost feel like there's people out there that you were talking directly to them in the way that you characterize the way that you talk to yourself. It was almost like you were now talking in that same way to listeners. And I think that that can really um, be very impactful. Mm -hmm. So, but I want to take you back a little bit because where you left us off with regards to your burnout journey is that you were left in a fetal position. And so we know that you have come a long way from where you were before before you were really trying to escape and to bury all of your emotions and busy yourself. I mean, you were that doer in, um, on a mission to really prove your worth. And now you're this really amazing person who has realized his excellence and his uh, ability to be creative and uh you know, you connect with people and you share and you are so giving and also recognizing that in yourself. So you've definitely healed from a lot of where you were before. You're a completely different person. Before you didn't really have an identity outside of your profession. And now your identity has developed into this really bigger picture of, of, all these different areas of your life. So we've seen this transformation, but take us back to the bridge, right? So you're in fetal fetal position, you're burned out, you're drinking a lot of alcohol, you're neglecting your body. How do you go from that to where you are today? What did that take for you? Oh, a $27,000 holiday, um, all, um, everything included, um, board, lodgings, um, and six to eight hours of uh, intensive input, and it's called rehab. Um, it was the best holiday I've ever taken in my life. And it was a holiday where I was completely taken outside of my life. So I had a holiday from my life, I had a holiday from the old me. And I was in a protected bubble where I could speak out, where suddenly I had the opportunity and the duty to face the real me. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done, to actually face the demons that are eating away at my soul every day or had been so for the last 30 years. And that was one of the hardest things I did and one of the most beautiful things I've did. So it was my drinking had come to a point where I was clearly no longer in control. And my wife uh, admitted me behind my back to a rehab hospital. And that um, became the start of my journey. 
And it was beautiful because there was I was surrounded by addicts. I mean, everyone there, the case managers, the yoga teacher, the everyone bar one or two of the doctors were addicts. And by looking around, you could see they live different lives than those of us who had just been admitted. So you think, oh, okay, that's interesting. So, and because you can't bullshit a bullshitter, uh, it was just amazing with regards to the the honesty that transpires there, and it was it was an amazing amazing time. I learned a lot about myself, and this particular system used the twelve steps of AA, but in a secular way, um, and it worked amazingly well for me. And yes, it put me at the start of a of a new journey. That was, again, brutally honest, painful, yet also so gorgeous in its nature. And it's a, if, if you imagine it to a walk, it's a very meandering, a very weird, convoluted walk that I'm taking here because I can't see around the corners. So there is no stretch that is, ah, oh, down there is the goal. I just go straight for that. There's nothing straight in my path because healing happens in layers and you don't realize how you need to heal or where you need to heal until something triggers you, until something happens again. Um, and yeah, it was beautiful. So if you ask me what was the catalyst for the end of my burnouts, or for a massive reduction of my burnouts, shall I say it like that? Because I'm still the perfectionist. I'm still the guy who wants to do everything. I'm still the guy who, um, who now focuses on his show and he wants to have as many guests as possible. What do you mean I can only do three, three shows a week? Uh, let's do it every day, twice a day. Come on. In addition to being full-time anesthetist and in addition to writing books and etc. So I think that that setup in my mind, the deep core beliefs, they are still there. But nowadays I manage them a little bit better. I actually have no qualms i have no guilt and shame to say okay i actually feel like crap today because five negative things have happened in the in the space of 24 hours i'm actually feeling down and out and i don't have to push myself now i can watch ncis or whatever kind of of films i want to watch on my my dvd player and play mindless games on my phone that is absolutely fine I don't need to be the special, the special person. Um, and when, and unfortunately, you you set yourself these goals, this healthy lifestyle that includes thirty minutes of exercise. Oh my God! If I don't do thirty minutes of exercise, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. The voices are still there. And then I say, oh, no, stuff it, stuff it. I swam yesterday and the day before. Today I feel like crap. Okay, no, that's cool. Yeah, Fair so you have more self Today, no exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And that is those, this mindfulness, this awareness of my needs is something new in, on this path in the last mm -hmm. eight years. Mm -hmm. I actually, I see any emotion that is occurring. I see that as a messenger. Um, yeah. Well, that's what body. emotions really are. You know, yeah. They have, they have a message, a very unique message. We don't always want to hear it. And we're sometimes <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's because we assume it's going to be so painful and unrelenting that we're going to just die. And, you know, our brain is really wired to avoid pain. So we're like, okay, well, let me just do everything. But, but when we do face it, we realize it's so temporary and that it wasn't as bad as we thought. And maybe it wasn't like the most pleasant thing in the world, but we survived. Right. And then it's so much better on the other side. Mm -hmm. So much better. So true. So you've learned so so much on this journey. And I'm curious if you can share some tips for people who are where you were and are listening to this and they want to know how they can get to this new place in their life where they've expanded their identity. They have more self-compassion. They allow themselves perhaps to be a little bit less perfect and to feel like they're worthy regardless Mm. of their productivity, what would you say to them? Um, First of all, it is, there is no quick fix. Let's be quite clear about that. This will be a a lot of soul searching and to do that alone, you're probably setting yourself from the word go up to fail. I would strongly suggest that you need a team, that you need someone who can help you, who listens to you, what you say, but also listens to you, what you don't say. Uh, That was for me often the key thing because I thought I knew it all. Well, yeah, and see where that led me. Um, No. So you need need people who are a bit further down that path. Um, So get yourself a coach or get yourself into a treatment program. Um, Get yourself, surround yourself with people who have been there, done that, and are just now thinking a bit differently than you. I think that's the key thing. Mm -hmm. But as far as the, the, the tips are concerned, it's very clear. The past does not equal the future. Please believe me. It is whatever has happened to you in the past, however often you try to escape reality because you actually fell into the, the realms of addiction. You actually ended up trying to numb yourself with maybe prescription drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. That was the past. That was you not having the insight, not knowing about your own trauma, those kind of things. That was then. Okay, The past does not equal the future. Number one. Number two, it is a lifelong, beautiful path that you're on, but it is a path where you need to walk. So you need to take action. So if you don't work on your recovery, you work on your relapse. That's what we are saying in in the addiction field. The same could be said about your mental health. If you don't work on your mental health, you work on your mental sickness. So you choose by your actions, by your daily little steps, what you take, that determines which, which way you're heading. Last but not least, you need, to be, you, have to, you need to have drivers that convince you that short-term pain in the sense of, actually, I need to do a bit of exercise now, is worth it. And for that, you need a why. You need to figure out what is your why. Why do you want to be healthy? Why do you want to break the cycle of burnout, of boom and bust? What drives you? What, 